Welcome everyone to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host Jordan Ron on ESPN, ESPN.com Giants reporter. And yes, we're inching a little bit closer to training camp. A little bit closer, but we're not quite there yet. So we're going to have an episode here. We got another special guest. One of my favorite stories covering the Giants so far. I mean, I've been on this beat now since 2013. So for the better part of seven years. And this is probably my single favorite story to cover since I've been on the Giants because it's it's really inspiring and really awesome. So we're going to go through that a little bit. We'll get to the football side soon. I promise we're getting closer. I'm taping this on Wednesday afternoon. The NFL, NFLPA are still negotiating. Giants players are supposed to come in, at least rookies, uh, who their deals, some of their deals they'll be getting wrapped up. That's in the works right now. Uh, and quarterbacks and injured players – They'll be getting in Wednesday, Wednesday night, start checking into the hotel. Thursday, testing will start up. But here's the deal, okay? Even when they do get back on the field now, it's going to be weeks until they do drills and practices that really resemble football, right? That's one of the things the Players Association was big on. They had They did a study a joint study along with the NFL, and it found that in order for the players to be safe, they're going to need a ramp-up period, an acclimation period. I think the number was 21 days. So we'll see what they finally come to an agreement on of what it, what this is going to look like when they get back. But my, from talking to people, my impression is that it's going to be several weeks, okay, at least like two weeks, probably three weeks, until they're getting on the field and really, really practicing football. So we're going to have plenty of time before we really get any sort of football evaluations out of it. Remember, the rookies are showing up, right, tonight and tomorrow. They're going to meet their coaches in person for the first time. The coaches, they rookies have yet to be up here. So they have to learn, you know, what is going to be expected of them in person, of what it's like to be in a professional camp. All these things are going to be new to them. So we have a long way to go before we're really going to be able to break down where this team is football-wise, at least from what has changed in the last, what, two, three months. So be patient on that. We have a special guest today, and it's going to be Mark Herzlick, right? And... I'm a big fan of Mark Herzlick's story. I don't know how, if you know his story, you're not a big fan of his story. And I will tell you, because I saw it firsthand. Uh, if you don't know, we'll, we'll get into it later, but the, the real short version is he was diagnosed with cancer, Ewing sarcoma, when he was in college. You know, wasn't sure the prognosis, uh, you know, if he was going to be able to even make it. Guess what? He overcame it, right? He's cancer-free. Clap for that, right? I mean, that's amazing in the first place. And came back, played football, made the NFL. And I will tell you, I was at his book signing once, and I spent the day with him, and I went out to eat with him and his now wife. I'm not sure if they were married at the time, Danielle. And I spent the day with them, and I just got to see – the impact that this guy has, right? And look, Mark Herzlick, we all know. He was a special teamer with the Giants. He wasn't a superstar. But his reach and his impact is amazing. I mean, if you see it, you you, you would just understand what I'm talking about. Because let's say there's a kid out there. And this kid gets diagnosed with some kind of cancer. They now have this guy who was a professional football player who is able to be a role model for them and say to them, look, look, I once had my doubts. I had this mindset, and I was able to overcome it. And look, look, I'm cancer-free now. So it's, it's a ray of hope for these people. And it doesn't matter if he's a superstar. You know, it doesn't matter if he's still even playing the NFL, which he's not. He's an analyst right now and a broadcaster for the ACC Network. But it's a matter of he can show them. He could show the, the, the way that people react to him and the way that they could look at him and say, wow, if he did it, I could do that too. And to see the way kids take to that, I, I, honestly, it's amazing. 
you have to see it firsthand, I think, to fully understand the depth of impact that it has. Now, Mark will explain that part of it to you, what, how the way he looks at it, and we'll, we'll get into all the details of that later. So, to me, and I came in 2013, remember, and there hasn't been a lot of on-field success since 2013. So, to me, this is one of, has been probably the best story to cover covering the Giants, being someone who's been a Giants beat reporter. To me, I've, I've really enjoyed it. It's the best story that I've covered because it's uplifting, it's just inspiring, and it's it just, you could just watch it from a, if you could just watch it from a distance, you'd sit there and you'd smile. Because it really is. It's truly inspiring, and you realize the courage and just, the ability to be a role model that that Mark Herzlick has, and he still is this day to a lot of people. So I was thinking about some of the best stories that I've been able to cover since I was cover, been, been on this Giants beat, and Odell's rise to stardom, the catch, that is right near the top. The 2016 season was really the only good season this team has had. So that's been that was one of the best things. I mean, and part of that it was JPP's resurgence. Right, you're talking about a guy who tore apart his hand, lost fingers, pretty much plural, and was able to come back and be a successful player in the NFL. That was also a great story to cover uh, because, to be quite honest with you, when it happened and when he had to have the amputation, you didn't think he was a going to either play in the NFL again, and if he did, really have much of an impact. And to see him do it and see see the way he's able to uh, operate not only on a daily basis, but on a football field. That's an, that was another pretty good story. Uh, the Eli retirement, that was a, you know, a memorable one. That was probably the most recent one. That is the most recent one that, that kind of comes to my mind. Right, You're talking about a legend for the New York Giants. Uh, 16 years, two Super Bowls, number one overall pick, lived up to the hype. Uh, everything the Giants wanted on and off the field. So the Eli retirement, that, that was a special one. Uh, Daniel Jones' pick was a unique one, I, and uh, to see his growth and when the, the sort of swaying of the tide real quickly when he when everyone realized, okay, this guy might actually be a player this past year, that was a great story to cover. Uh, the and as a specific game that came to mind that Eli Drew Brees game in New Orleans, I think they threw a combined thirteen touchdowns. I'm, I guess it was in two thousand and fifteen. Uh, Drew Brees, I think, set, tied the record with seven, and then Eli threw six. It was just, that was a wild game. It was actually on Halloween, I believe, 2015. Uh, one of the craziest games you'll ever see. A 52-49 to 49 final. So these are some of the great stories that, uh, to me, that I've been able to cover. I might have missed one or two. If I did, feel free to reach out to me and tell me, uh, you know, a moment since 2013 moments that that kind of stuck out to you maybe you look at as your favorite moments uh these last seven seasons or so and uh but to me this Mark Herzlick story and to be able to see some of it firsthand and the impact that he has it's been great so let's get to it on to the next one all right let's bring in this week's guest we have Mark Herzlick former Giants linebacker star of Boston College now an ACC network analyst, so technically one of my co-workers, basically. Uh, and I, I will say this when I bring Mark on because I truly believe this. And I started covering the team in the middle of 2013. Uh, and this is one of my favorite stories to have to cover, was your story, Mark, especially when I read your book and you read the, whole, the full background of your story and, and how you got to the team and how you got to the NFL and everything that you went through to get there. It really is an inspiring story. So w- welcome, Mark. Uh, I appreciate you the time and, and having you on. And I hope all is, all is well on your end. Yeah, appreciate it, Jordan. Uh, yeah, everything is, is you know, going as good as it can during quarantine right now. And right. You know, we're anticipate, anticipating football coming up. And hopefully that happens. When it happens, we don't know. But uh no, life is good. And yeah, I appreciate you saying that. I, I had a uh, a very blessed career with the Giants. Um, but yeah, you're right. Getting there was, it was a little different than most people. Right. No, for sure. So 
All right, we'll, we'll get to the current stuff later. Let's start with that, right? So what do you take from your Giants career? I mean, you, 2011 to 17, right? Uh, and if you don't know Mark's story, he, he, he was at Boston College. He was diagnosed with cancer, uh, Ewing sarcoma. Uh, came back pretty much a year later, I believe it was. Yep. Am I, am I right on that on the timing? Yep, yep. Okay, yep. and then made it to the NFL as an undrafted rookie, made the Giants wins as part of a Super Bowl winning team his first year and ends up going having a seven-year NFL career, which on its own merit, right, is, is a, a huge accomplishment and add everything else to it and you're like, wow, that, that's, <laughs> that's ridiculous. So what do you take from it? I mean, the, the whole journey, yeah. the, the, the seven seasons with the Giants in the NFL? Well, I, I think, you know, uh, I learned more and more you know, just as different things happen around me and in America, just, you know, different appreciations for my time at the Giants. Um, I'd say, you know, most recently, um, you know, especially with um, all the uh, the social justice movements uh, and the George Floyd marches, just the benefit that I received of, you know, being in locker rooms like the Giants had with such cultural diversity um, and, you know, being able to, you know, just see firsthand the amount of, um, you know, just potential and leadership um, and assets that people can bring each other. You know, it, it's, you know, I was much different than a lot of people in the locker room. They were much different than me. And that enhanced our experience. And I think you know, what probably, you know, the most like eclectic, most varied background, most different team was our team that won the Super Bowl. And, you know, there were guys from all different walks of life and watching them come together for a single purpose. You know, I think that is something that I've reflected back on in the recent months and just been very, very, you know, blessed to have that locker room and those guys, you know, as a part of my life. So you know, that's, I always say the locker room is one of the most, the biggest melting pots, like non-racial, you know, places that, you, that, and this is obviously a little bit of a stereotype when I say that, but it, in general, it's just one of the more open and honest places. I feel like that you can go. I mean, am I right about that? Yeah. And, and it's, it's funny. Cause um, you know, I had, I had felt that way too. And, and at the same time, I, I realized that, you know, just, you know, my view of it as a, uh, you know, a white male in a locker room might be skewed. So it's funny, right. but that's, that's exactly what I did. Yeah. I, I reached out to a bunch of my, you know, my close friends. And I just asked him, I said, Hey, what, what were the locker rooms like for you? You know, was it a safe place? Was it a comfortable place? Um, and, and they, they reached out and, and it was funny. They said the locker room itself was always a very comfortable place. You know, different people had different stories. You know, once you leave those, that locker room or, you know, different organizations, the front offices were a little bit different, but they said yeah. that for the most part, you just the locker rooms and the guys, because everyone just wanted to win. Um, and yeah, I right, guess you have that, they have that one else. central goal that everybody yes. shares, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so, you know, that's the kind of the first thing that comes to my mind. And then you know, the other part um, is, you know, being a part of something greater than yourself um, and really understanding that even though we had all made it to the top of our uh, sport, um, that n none of us, no matter how great you were, none of us could do it alone. Uh, and that we were all part, of something bigger than ourselves and something that has history to it. You know, it's not, it's not often you can be a part of something that has such great history like the New York Giants. You, know, you just think back to all the players who came before you, all the players that will, you know, come after you uh, and you're a part of something, you know, really kind of special. Um, and, and that, that's a realization that starts to seep in the longer you're there. Well, that is even more obvious when you're part of one of those Super Bowl winning teams, right? I mean, that, yeah. that, that, that sort of like takes it to a different level, right? You, you win, you, you're on the, one of those Super Bowl teams, it's a special experience. It's a, you're in a special group now, right? You go to that uh, practice facility, the, pra the, the bubble, and there's those banners and there's a list of every single person's name that were on those teams, right? So your, your name is on that, on one of those banners. What was that like to you? What was that what does that mean to you? And what was that moment like when, when you guys actually did win the Super Bowl? I know, I know that was a special moment for you personally. 
Yeah, no, it was. Um, and yeah, I was really, really two years um, out from just, you know, cancer diagnosis, right? So, you know, I did right. basically a year, I guess, almost two and a half, a year of recovery. And then, you know, went to college. And then the very next season, you know, was playing as a rookie uh, on that Super Bowl team. And I, I guess it you were injured for like the a, Super Bowl. You were injured for the Super Bowl. Is that is that I was, right on yeah, that? I was, I was injured for Super Bowl. I got, I got, I think I got injured um, in week 15 or 16. Um, I broke my ankle and then you know, I was able to come back and, and practice, but wasn't able to, uh, you know, be fully healthy for the game, which was, you know, was annoying, right? You know, <laughs> annoying is like, I guess maybe the best word for it because at the end of the day, it was fantastic. Like the day was amazing regardless. Right. Um, but yeah, but I mean, you would have, if someone gives you the preference, you want you would have wanted to play, and you were oh, probably yeah. itching to play at that point like no other. Yeah, oh, for sure, for sure, you absolutely want to. Um, but I think you know when you know, I guess when the you know that hail mary goes up and and uh, it gets not Kenny Phillips knocks the ball down and it hits the ground and y'all yeah, run out in the field and the confetti's streaming down and everything it was interesting it felt like kind of like a, a crescendo of um you know a culmination of you know being diagnosed with cancer fighting back and just kind of being like okay we finally it, that part is over but it you know it was interesting that only maybe the medical side of it was over and the recovery side of it is over but it kind of even launched the ability and the platform to continue to affect others and help others who have been diagnosed and you know i know you were around for for a bunch of the, the you know hospital visits and when we would host uh the j fund kids come yeah. but you know part of what um, i felt was you know kind of my calling and and uh from god and purpose was to try to help others who had that same diagnosis that i had to give them hope so you know the, that super bowl win you know it gives you a platform and you, know, yeah. you kind of talk about you it a different you go, pedestal you're at a different level yeah. all of a sudden yeah, exactly. And so, uh, yeah, that, I think that was, that was, uh, just obviously a really awesome point of the career. And then, and then, uh, you know, kind of validated a lot of the things that I wanted to do outside of football as well. I mean, that, that's the amazing part is, and, and I'll say this cause like you said, I've, I've seen it firsthand when you, this is why it's one of the favorite stories that I've covered and, and that I've seen things since I've covered the giants is when kids who are going through, you know, have cancer, or are going through some of the things that you went through, come up to you and they look at you and they say, and you could tell them, look, put your mind to it. You can overcome this. It just, it, it's a, it's an amazing sight. I'm sure mm -hmm. it's a pretty amazing feeling too. Like what, how often do you do that still? I mean, how often do, do people ask you to come talk or, or do you get unsolicited yeah. message from people that my kid has been diagnosed with cancer. I read about your story. Uh, I would, you know, can you give us a few words or give us advice? I mean, yeah. how, how much is that part of your daily basis? Uh, yeah, it's pretty much every day. Um, you know, it's so I go and speak. Obviously, right now with during uh, you know, COVID, there's no, yeah, I don't go and speak at hospitals or Virtual. schools or, or anything. But yeah, I do it virtually. Um, and you know, especially with uh, you know Twitter and Instagram and and you know apps like Cameo and stuff like that, where you know, I'm available. I want, you know, I just want to make myself available to people to, to reach out if they want. And it was really daily, you know, being able to send videos to people and just give them encouragement, make phone calls, you know, talk to people. And it's the uh, humbling fact that cancer affects so many people um, that, um, you know, there, there's definitely a big need for hope, uh, especially around diagnosis and treatments. Uh, and, and you really, you, you, you know, you tell the whole story for the most part in your, in your book, what, uh, what it takes fighting for my life and my love for the game. Uh, and I'm just curious, what was it like when you get that news? Like, how do you, you're basically a teenager at that point, right? You're in college, you're, but you're what? Yes, how 21, 20? 21, 21 years old. Um, yeah, I, I just finished my junior season of uh, at Boston College, where I was the ACC Defensive Player of the Year, I was you know going into the next season. I was the number one rated overall player for the next year's draft, regardless of position. And then basically, the doctor told me that you know, first of all, I would never play football again, and that I had cancer that could potentially end my life. And 
um, there's, first of all, there's nothing that will prepare you for that moment. And I, no one even should prepare for that moment because that would be preparing for something that hopefully doesn't happen to people. Right. But, like what's the, yeah. what's the purpose of preparing yeah. for the absolute, you know, for a worst case, yeah. if you, right. you know, if you sit, if you live your life like that, you're gonna be miserable. Right. Uh, absolutely. But, but I think what, um, what I had been, you know, kind of learning the entire time that I've you know, just gone through different athletics in my life or whatever it was, uh-huh. was that, you know, when you have something that, that is, you know, an obstacle or, you know, you don't make a varsity team or you don't, you know, bench the, what you want to that day. Like what you don't just stop. I, you know, I think that that maybe that was taught by my father. Well, my entire life is you don't quit on things. You just keep on trying and give it your best shot. And if it becomes really, really, really difficult, you try harder. Um, and so, you know, the options, go to zero, right? Or go to yeah. one. You have one option. You fight against this and you get over it and you beat it. Um, and so... You're able I to get to that point right away though? Or is that something like... I don't know. I Obviously, I don't think anybody knows how you could handle that, especially when I was younger. But I, like, how do you not be demoralized? And, and, how, and, and when do you turn that page, right? To saying, okay, this is my option. I'm going to go yeah. kick, its, <laughs> kick its butt, right? Yeah, no, I was demoralized. <laughs> yeah, it was, and and this you know this time frame that you know I'm going to tell you will sound, I don't know, it's not impressive or whatever it was, but that's not the point of it. It's just you know really for I went home after that doctor's appointment and just like laid in my bed and just you know I w- I think I was too stunned to even cry, but I was just like, what what just happened? Like why did this happen to me? And just felt like awful for like two hours and it was two hours just like sulking in my room and you know, that's two hours sounds like okay well two you know whatever two hours is not a long time yeah. but you know I, i'm i'm just i think naturally I'm, a, I'm normally a positive person and and like i started to feel myself going down this like rabbit hole of negative negativity um and yeah i remember looking at you know i had pictures on my wall from and you know, the stories in the book too, but I went, when I had pictures on my wall from, from high school and, and yeah, I was a running, I was a big running back in high school, six, <laughs> four, two sixty, uh, playing fullback in high school. And I was carrying the ball and, uh, my left leg, which is where the cancer was in my left quad, um, and femur was like planted in the ground. And, and I just, you saw like the strength and, and the power coming out of that leg. And I looked at, it, I said, there's no, I'm not going to just sit back and let that leg right there in that picture be the thing that kills me. Um, and so I made a decision to just, okay, I don't know what I need to do, but I need to do something. So I walked downstairs and I found my dad and I looked at my dad and I said, dad, you know, I'm going to be okay. And I'm going to play football again. Um, and he basically hugged me and he said, okay, let's do this. And it was like, all right, now let, let's go. Like, let's do this thing. Uh, I don't know exactly what we're going to do, but let's do it and let's get back to where we want to go. Right. Yeah. And and you did. I, and so, yeah. Uh, so you get the clearance, right? Mm-hmm. And you announce it to the world on game day, right? Uh, yeah. 2009. Yep. Take us through yes. that decision to do it on game day and the whole you know, and where does that day stand on, on, you know, you know, when you think of like big days in your life or big events in your life, where, where does that sort of rank? Cause that, that's one of the first things when I think of you, that comes to my mind. Yeah, no, gosh, man, it, it was, you know, that day was wild. It, it's funny. You know, a lot of people don't know, but the week leading up to it, um, I would, you know, I do blood tests and blood counts all the time. So I go to the nurse's office at Boston college and they do blood te- blood work and send it off to my doctors uh, to get results back at Philadelphia. But and it came back like I had super low whatever counts, red blood cell counts or white blood cell. I don't know which one it was, but super low, right? And so they were like, you're going to need to get a blood transfusion and, you know, you're going to be really weak this, you know, this week and you're probably won't gonna, not going to be able to do, you know, do anything. And I was like, well, game day is coming. So like, what could I possibly do to get my counts back up? And they're like, well, you know, obviously red meat will help get it up and asparagus. And so, so I literally had red meat for every single meal and just like, 
destroyed. So you had like steaks for breakfast, steaks, everything. Yes, steak. And, and so, like, it's funny because um, I got my blood work done. You know, the morning or the day before. The, I guess the morning of game day, um, and they said, "Hey, your blood work looks good." And I had already been told that you know the the cancer, uh, they couldn't find the cancer. So it's funny. I hadn't told any of my teammates um, because they had already. When I found out the day before, they were already going to the hotel um, to to stay the night before the game. Right. And so I was like, uh, I am going to say it on TV. I'm just going to say it. And it's funny now that working in the TV business, like unexpected announcements from guests, like throws producers off like crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like like that. that I, they 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 like it because there's news, but you, know, you so never. You didn't know tell anybody. Coming. You didn't tell anybody no. there. I like told they, Chris they, Fowler. I told Chris Fowler in the truck. I said, "Hey, I want to I want to say something. Uh, I have an announcement um, that I want to say." But that's all I told him, and he said, "You know." Okay. And so he cued me up. He said, Oh, I heard you have an announcement you want to make. You got some news. Um, and I basically went off and said it. And it, I think it was, you know, first of all, made for great TV. That wasn't the purpose of what I was doing. For sure. Um, but no, see, you're a natural, Mark. You're a natural at this business. There you go. You didn't even know it at the time, but you're just a natural. A natural. So, yeah, but, you know, I think it was uh, the amount of um, letters that came after that um was overwhelming and in a you know in a positive way but there's a right. lot of people telling their stories um you know good stories bad stories a lot of stories that you know kind of were too overwhelming for me at the time um but you know it it, re- it made me realize that you know there was a uh there was a purpose behind my health now um and i could use my health and my career as a way to give back and help others. So yeah, it was a, it was a monumental day for sure. Yeah. So then you play that 2010 season play of the 13 games at Boston college. Right. And you end up going undrafted and, and signed by the giants. Yeah. Like you said before, there was a time where you were the number one player in the country, <laughs> like yeah. what, you know, 18 months before. Right. Do you ever wonder what if, just on the football side. Oh like, yeah. So what what do you, what do you think? What what do you yeah. think about? I mean, so yeah, I, I you think about feeling like you need a marketing degree and an extra day in your week to successfully market your small business. Let Constant Contact do the heavy lifting for you. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has powerful tools that make it easy to grow your audience, engage your customers, and sell more to boost your business. Now, in just a few clicks, you can launch a marketing campaign that's tailored to your business and goals. That includes email, social, SMS, and more. So you can sell more, raise more, and fast-track your business growth. Plus, you can always count on Constant Contact's award-winning customer support for guidance along the way. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Constant Contact. Helping the small stand tall. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Yeah, just first of all, opportunity, right? I think that that's the biggest thing that changes between, you know, there, monetarily there's, you know, that's obviously one thing, but, you know, opportunity for a first round guy, you know, top 10 pick oh, is so sure. much different um, than, uh, you know, an undrafted guy. And so you see it all the time. Other- you see it all the time when guys are, are you know, their careers are just, 
yeah. stumbling through, and but they're still getting chances and chances because they're that high draft pick and they have they have that pedigree. Absolutely. So you know that that would have been some, one thing, and then you know I think the other part too is you know if there was no you know if I did, wasn't diagnosed, then obviously you know hopefully my senior year would have been even better than my junior year, and then you know the development continues, and rather than you know, having development, not just halt, but like take a huge regression uh, and then have to kind of rebuild back up. You know, I, I just, I, it would have been fun. I think, I think it would have been fun to see where that went at the same time. Who knows like what my life would have looked like. I, you right. know, they, I, I'm, I'm, I love my wife and my son and where we live and just, my, you know, everything, my ability to give to charity and, and relationship with different families and kids fighting cancer, like all that stuff, like who knows what it would have been like. So, you know, you, I do look back every now and then and be like, man, you know, wonder what it would have been like, but right. I would not, it, it's a weird to say, but I don't think I'd trade my current life for, for that any day. Right. No, definitely not. I mean, I could, I could totally, understand that and it makes perfect sense but mm-hmm. uh when you so when you're trying to come back though is there anything that you're like you know i, I got I, you obviously worked your butt off to get back mm-hmm. to where you did get to right you worked your way back into the nfl mm-hmm. uh was there anything though physically that you were like trying to get back to maybe strength wise or uh, agility wise before that you felt that you had beforehand, that was always the, the struggle to get back to that point. Yeah. Well, so I, you know, it's funny. Uh, your mind plays weird tricks on you. Like you get to the point, I think athletically, especially when I was in my junior year and kind of firing all cylinders that, you know, I could do things and not think about them. You know, just, I would I'd see someone go to the left and I would stop on a dime and cut to the left and just my body knew how to do it. Right. Um, well, you know, afterwards, my le- left leg was you know, so much weaker. Even today, still, there's a there's so much muscle atrophy in my left leg that it's you know two or three inches smaller in circumference than my right leg. And um, really, my body had to relearn how to you know how to run, how to stop, how to you know even you know the explosion off my left leg in a back pedal is different than my right leg. If I jump and I'm leaping off my left leg it's i don't go as high if i leap off my right leg so it's funny it, it took a while for my brain to like recalibrate everything and then during the rec- during my time coming back you know i my my body wasn't used to the the intense training so i broke my foot i stress fractures in my foot in that that uh last season at boston college and then you know broke my hand um just you know bones were a little bit weaker and there was always the possibility that you know my leg would break and that would be catastrophic but you know that was protected so you know i ended up playing that last season with a cast on my hand and my foot taped up and wrapped and broken but it was like nothing's going to keep me off this field so you know you're talking about your last year boston college yeah last year boston college so um you know i get to the nfl and and um there i i I feel like at certain points in my career got back to maybe speed wise where i was or, or um agility wise but it was all of a, uh, it was like learning stuff again. And then, you know, things became natural again. And, you know, I felt like I was playing some of my, my best ball towards the end, which um, kind of is great. Um, and so, you know, I, I was able to walk away um, where I thought I could play more football still. But at the same time, I felt like I had fully regained to where I was, which you know, was kind of like, it was which was great. It just made me feel like I, I didn't, I didn't have um, a real gigantic setback in the long term. Right. That was, I, I would guess that was important to you. I mean, you, yeah. you did, you did have something that kept you out. Was it your a neck? Yeah, or, I had a, well, I had a, a, a stinger. Stinger shoulder something. Yep. Yep. So a stinger in my neck that, um, you know, kind of, was you know iffy on on you know what was what was going on with that but either way that that put me on ir when um you know didn't didn't have a ton of you know basically 
could have gone out and played, but you know, due yeah, to yeah. kind of the number and the roster. Whatever. But there's the numbers and there's the business side of it, and it's exactly, yeah. exactly. So, so yeah, that but it wasn't, but it wasn't anything that you had to deal with long term. So at that point, no. after that, you're still you're still feeling healthy, yeah. long term, yep. right? Yeah, for sure. So yeah, and I, and I sit here today. I was able to walk away from the game, you know, other than cancer, right? Like pretty right. much un, unscathed. Which uh, the fact that you could say that and laugh is an accomplishment. You know that, <laughs> right? I right, mean, right. Right. Like you say, well, other than the cancer, ha ha ha. You know, I mean, right. You're, you're yeah, in well, good shape if you could do that and and, and be healthy, <laughs> for sure. And then you jump right into the TV side, right? So you, yeah, you leave the game, you, you get into the TV side. What's that been like? And how do what do you take from your your whole experience in your playing career? And and how does that sort of help you? Or what do you, what do you how do you use it in this next part of your your life and your career? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and so you know, I I, uh, I got a call actually in July before my last training camp with the giants um, saying, Hey, we're starting this ACC network. Would you be interested in it at all? And I said, Hey, yeah, I'd be interested, but you know, I'm still playing. And then when I was released after training camp, um, you know, they called back and said, Hey, you know, you want to come up and, and do some you know test runs? Um, you know, they asked, and, they asked me about you at one point, you know that. Oh yeah. Oh, I did I, not know that. <laughs> I definitely said, yeah, he would, uh, he, he's going to, he, I trust me. He'll be good. He'll be good in that role. He'll be good in that role. Soon right, enough, cool. soon enough, I knew I knew you were going to be. Trust me, it wasn't me that got you hired, but uh, <laughs> they yeah, just so, they were just kind of picking my mind, like oh, of when you when you would become available. That was right. that was the gist I was getting. Right, right. Like right. you think That's he makes good. the team this year? This was <laughs> this was the year before, like you said, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yep. And then the year uh, later. That's when I saw you get hired. I was like, oh, this. You know, I knew they were poking around and see what he was doing. Yeah, they were poking. But, no, it's good. So, and, and you know, I've been uh, – I think my kind of my main role is calling games, and, and I've – you know, I just have loved that. You know, just the first you – know, the first few times in the booth, you're – you know, I, I think that um, I went into it, you know, pretty confident, um, especially with the football. Uh, I knew that I did not know – you know, a ton about timing or what the production looks like or, or right. stuff like that. So, you know, I, I had a great, I, I mean, who knows if we'll be together this year, hopefully we will, but you know, Chris Cotter was my play by play guy. Um, and he was fantastic. Um, you know, he helped me out. He gave me keys. He kind of led me pretty well. And then I think, you know, by th third or fourth game of the season, we, we hit a stride. Um, and, uh, you know, I think we were calling some really good games. We got some good football games uh, out of that action. And, um, no, I love it. Um, I, 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 and I think that my favorite part um, isn't – it's funny. It isn't, like, the football analysis, which, you know, is, is great. But the, right. my favorite part is, like, sitting down with the coaches, learning their coaching philosophy – um, learning about the different players and what they mean to the team in terms of like you know, their emotional leadership, their spiritual leadership, just kind of how they, how their teams are built and then being able to relay that to fans uh, in a way that, you know, kind of flows nicely into the gameplay. Um, and, and every now and then, you know, and you prepare all these different pieces and, and there's, you know, the production truck is filled with videos um, and clips that never get seen on TV just because you, know, you got to prepare for everything. But you know, the, the, the times that we were able to show some of those background stories and those clips reminds me of, uh, you know, when I was able to go on uh, game day and announce my story and just, right. And, and I think that that's really um, one of the things that I love about the job is being able to highlight some of the really awesome people that are involved with college athletics. There you go. Yeah, I mean, look, it seems like a natural fit then. And you're even working with some of the uh, some of your former teammates and stuff and guys, right? Isn't, yeah. Isn't, uh, yeah, John Beeson is uh, – John Beeson, who, who's another – was a great guy in the locker room. Yep, he's in studio with me um, during – Maybe the, the biggest week. biceps I've ever seen, by the way. Oh, yeah. He's, I mean, he, he's, 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 playing. he's muscled out. He's a strong guy. <laughs> yeah, so with him during the week, and we have good chemistry and uh, – yeah, so I mean, just we'll, we'll see kind of what happens this year. You, uh, you, you have a preference. Do you like doing the games best? Do you like being in the studio? Do you? What, what's what, what's uh, what's next? Where's the future? Where, if you had if you had a crystal ball and your own preference, where would that take you? 
Um, I, I think I would like to do games. Uh, I mean, I really like calling games. Um, I think it's more of a challenge for me, um, which I like. Um, so, you know, I, if I could kind of draw up my path is, you know, I would, I would continue to do a little bit of studio stuff, but I would do, uh, I would, I'd be every week on the road doing games. Um, yeah, yeah I just, I, I enjoy that atmosphere and I enjoy kind of the elongated, you know, narration of a college football game. Yeah. Well, like you said before too, like, I don't think people realize you get all this information. You don't use even use half of it, right? Right. You're just collecting right. all this data and information, and you never really know even when you're going to use it. And 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 that's that's the beauty of it. You're just going and learning, and collecting all this stuff, and 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 then as it kind of goes in the flow of the game, then it just naturally comes to you because you you have you've done that that work, right? You've done that background, yeah. and then that's uh. That's and it shows when people are prepared and when people are prepared, right? Like that. That's that's the difference, I think, between you know good and great people in this business is is the preparation and just that, just that knowledge that, that's just sitting there in your brain that you don't even know you need. Absolutely, very so, true. Um, I'm happy for you, and I do appreciate the time. I was, I was, you know, I was looking at your stats. Eighty-eight games. 138 tackles, one sack. Do you remember yeah. that one sack? I do. I think I think it was on Mark Sanchez. It was um, on Mark Sanchez. Yeah, I, looked, I was looking it up. Yep. I had a couple other close calls, but that was that was my one my one sack. One sack. Mark Sanchez was at week 17 against the Eagles. It's funny. I uh, you know Mark works in for ESPN college football. Yeah, that's insane, of course. And, uh, you know, it's funny. He was talking about that game. And he was like – because they, they were running, like, that uh, read option play all the time. You know, the, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. zone play where the quarterback just carries out the fake. And, and you know, we'd been talking about all week, like, the NFL rules state if the quarterback carries out the fake, you can hit him. Smack him. <laughs> and I just – my job was come off the edge every single time and hit him. <laughs> and, and I did. And it was funny. He was like – he goes, Hurst, will you stop hitting me? And apparently he said, I just, I got up and I growled at him. So that's, uh, I guess, I don't remember, but I guess that was my mindset during that game. <laughs> was that a common thing for you to growl at people? Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't remember, but apparently it was. <laughs> you also had two kick returns in your career, uh, which, I, yes. which, I, which, I found out, which I found kind of funny. It's like looking at yeah. the numbers real quick. Yeah, I was never a fall on it guy. I wasn't gonna fall on it. I was, you know, I was gonna get, I was gonna get some yards, get some positive yards to the team. Absolutely. I mean, hey, if you get that opportunity, what's the use of falling on it? That opportunity is oh. not gonna come ever again, you know. Absolutely. All you, all you got to do is not fumble. You fumble and you're in big trouble. Yeah, yeah. That was. I would hold on. Tom Coughlin wouldn't would take too well if you fumbled that. No, not at all. <laughs> You still you still stay close to to Coughlin and uh, a lot of the people from that eleven team. Yeah, we. Um, so I'm, I'm still on the board of uh, Tom Coughlin's J Fund charity. Um, so you, I see him and talk to him frequently, and um, you know, still from that eleven team. You know, you got to know a little bit some of those guys that came in as rookies with me, with Prince of Mukamara uh, and Spencer Pacinger and Henry Hanoski. Is it? we're all still you know, very close. Um, and yeah, I think one, one of the things cool is about kind of still living around um, you know, the New York area as they go, I'll go back to games and see a bunch of guys um, right. you know, from the good old days. And yeah, we, we all are all still very close. Yeah. That, that was a good crew. Spencer Passenger, by the way, you know, I mean, he, he surpassed everybody with his fame, right? He's, he's super high. He's like Mr. Hollywood now. I know. It's I mean, he, he has a TV show. For God's sakes, it, not just a TV show, like the TV show. I mean, yeah. it's like it, I think it, it it's it's awesome, and and it is a good show. I I enjoy it. The All American we're talking about here. Yep, based it's, on it's, his it's, life, he's a producer. Yeah, on the yep. show, it, it's 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 darn good. It's darn and good. He's been a, he's been a creator, uh, just ever since I've known him. Uh, just creating things and, and stuff and. Um, it just blended perfectly in this world. And, you know, he, he's the owner of a couple, two or three, uh, coffee shops in the LA area. He built them out and runs them. So 
company. It's called Hilltop Coffee. But yeah, so he's he's definitely an entrepreneur. It's really cool. You know, he got to make sure that he you know this TV show gets to the point where the guy the guy's in the NFL, right? And then you got to have you know you guys make little cameos as yourself or whatever. Uh, yeah, for sure. Or, or at least, I mean, it'll be easy to tell if he includes me or not. Because if there's a a big white linebacker with a mohawk, then that'll be me. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, you, you something you mentioned at the beginning, and you you were talking about this with guys and, and being in the locker room and the, the social justice. You were you were heavily involved in in the player side of uh, mm-hmm. represent players, the players union. You were, in the, I believe, on the executive committee for the players yep. association. Yep. As yeah, well. I was on the executive committee and I was treasurer for the past four years. So first on the, on the social justice side, you, like you said, you were a white player in the locker room, stood out, you know, looked different than everybody else in the locker room from that perspective. How would you handle everything that's going on? And if you were in a locker room today? Yeah. Well, I think it's, uh, I think it's important to, uh, especially as a white player, um, to listen, right. And to be someone who, uh, speaks on, uh, you know, speaks up on behalf of, you know, your brothers and your teammates. Um, so, you know, to me that, that is, that is a bond of brotherhood. Um, I, I have seen firsthand, um, you know, the injustices that happen, um, I grew up with a African American brother, um, and so there's it's real in this country, um, and it's something that you know it, it's something that I'm glad that is taking place in, in a way that I'm glad that this you know terrible tragedy has created a platform for you know social justice to occur and to be talked about and to actually make lasting change, and that's. I think that's the hope. So, you know, as, as just a player uh, is first of all uh, affirming um, the fact that there is injustice uh, and then being there to support uh, my teammates and friends and not just, you know, do it silently, but speak uh, out in support of them as well. Yeah. It'll, It'll be very interesting to see how it plays out within locker rooms throughout the season. Right. Like, I know I spoke to a bunch of guys and their thing is we can't just let this disappear, right? We can't just let this be once the season starts or it just become, okay, we, we got to worry. It's all about football now. Right. Mm-hmm. And now the idea is how do we make it actionable? Yeah. Right. So it'll be interesting to see not only how they're able to do that from a social justice perspective, but also there's limitations, right? I mean, we're talking, we're still dealing with this coronavirus and, we're doing everything virtually. We can't have people in the same room. So that also, it's going to limit your options, right? So mm-hmm. Yeah. To limit options, you know, obviously we don't know, you know what fans are going to be in the stadium, but I have to None. believe that if a national anthem's played and players kneel, that camera better be on them. Yeah. It better be televised after the commissioner has already stated that it was a mistake before to limit players from doing that. Um, you know, it, it's just if 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 that stuff doesn't make television, uh, it would be a big issue. It'll be interesting too, because you know their thing was, uh, if I'm you know remembering correctly, it was that uh, oh no, we don't we don't televise the national anthem, right? Right, right. Yep. So you, you know that 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 that's when they go to commercial. So that right. that was like one of the reasons why. Uh, you know, they didn't show Colin Kaepernick kneeling or, or stuff, stuff like that in the past or, or other guys when they, yeah. when they did do it afterwards. You know, Michael Thomas was one mm-hmm. of the guys that yeah. did it when he was with the Dolphins, Kenny Stills. So we don't, we don't show guys, any guys during the National Anthem. So it'll be interesting to see. Those are, you know, yep. nice, easy, uh, built-in excuses. But like you said, uh, this, is, this is a different time. And yeah. It, it, it's a totally different situation. So it'll be very interesting to see how it plays out. As far as getting on the field and getting in a locker room, you have a young, young kid, right? Two years yeah. old, your son. And you, you've someone, you've had cancer in the past. Uh, yeah. wh- how would you feel getting into a locker room right now and actually playing football? 
Um, well, it would be a welcome reprieve. I'll tell you that. It's, it's something <laughs> that I'm sure guys are itching for. Right. Um, Just to get back to have but, a little bit of normalcy, right? To some but degree. at the same time, like a return to normalcy. Because, you know, I think, and you know, because you've been in locker rooms, like stuff could be like blowing up on you know in the town over but then you enter the locker room and the facility and you're in this like little bubble of like augmented reality where you know for us the clocks were different like we said we're <laughs> a different time than everybody else like you know even coaches are, are notorious for being like gosh i don't even know what's happening in the world did you know did you hear about this or that and they're like i've been in here doing football for the whole time so right. like it's it is a it's this like I've slept here for a week, guys. Exactly. So, you know, the worry, my worry is that that little bubble of like a new normalcy starts to be relaxed. Um, And then, you know, you're, you're getting people sick at work and then they're going home. And, you know, the problem is with the NFL is that, you know, you can't keep guys quarantined in a hotel. Like you just can't do it. It's not, it, there's no way that should be right. Like, you know, these are, these are adults that have families. Like you can't keep someone from their family for four months. So, um, more than four, uh, I mean, you're talking uh, August to right, you know, right. February. If you make, I mean, you're, you're talking what, good six months, you know, seven yeah. months. I know. I, that, and, and you're talking the number of people that are involved in football. You're talking about massive, massive, right? A hundred right. plus people, right? Between players, coaches, uh, trainers, uh, uh equipment, people it, well, it's, it's a much bigger well, number than the yeah. basketball which is able to put everyone in right. a bubble because right. first of all they played three quarters of the season or more than yeah. that so far and it's just that the rosters are what 15 guys yeah no, compared you're right. to 50 60 90 even in training camp yeah. they're not really well, comparable think about, and think about the, the amount of people that go on that airplane when we fly private i mean there's there's an insane amount of people on that yeah, yeah. um so, yeah. I, well, some of those people are not going to be allowed. I mean, uh, oh, I've seen a, yeah, an outline obviously. of the rules. Like, there's, there's a limitation of who's going to be allowed in a traveling party. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. But, you know, at the same time, you know, I, I, I just think that it's going to be – it would be kind of uh, irresponsible for the union to even recommend players go back mm-hmm. um, just because, you know, one of their – one of the union's pillars – you know, they have three pillars, right? It's fighting for wages, fighting for better working conditions, and then fighting for the health and safety of the players. So if that's a if health and safety of the players is a pillar of what you do as a union, then I don't know how you can say, okay, you know, your your next door neighbors aren't allowed to leave their house without masks, but you can go to work and tackle each other. I just I'm not sure how that'll work. I don't think yeah. it would. It's a very fine line and tricky situation. I mean, I'm convinced. And this is just my opinion. I don't know of anyone in specific, but I've talked to people who said that, you know, some agents have said some of their players, but there's going to be players that, uh, a decent amount of players that opt out. Yeah. Like older I, I, veteran guys. Like if anyone in your family is sick or has like, is high risk at all. Like how could you then go and play football and go to a locker room? I, I just don't well, know how it's possible. I mean, you know, even, yeah, I was pretty lucky with, you know, the fact that my immune system bounced back, but I had cancer. Like my immune system could be compromised, you know, like <laughs> when yeah. I go back, no, like I couldn't go back because to me, although I love it and it's my job, but like me leaving my son fatherless to go and play a game, I can't, I just can't do that. I couldn't do that. Yeah. I think the only way that it would be possible is if like, you, uh, you know, if you as a player wanted to take that risk and go, you basically quarantine yourself from your family right. for that full six months. Yeah. But that, that's a, that's a tough ask. And, and yeah. especially, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't know who, a, who we'll would see. want to do that, or who yeah. would be willing to do that. Uh, but it, yes, it will be very interesting to see how this, this is going to be a, a season. And if there is one and a year like no other for sure. Yep. We will find out. Unprecedented. Well, Mark Herzlick, uh, I appreciate the time. Uh, and your story really is, is truly inspiring. And uh, I, I, I thank you for 
you know, doing your part and let me kind of like jump along for the little bits of the ride with you along the way and just to see uh, the impact that it has. And really, if you ever see Mark interacting with some of these kids or sometimes it's even adults too. Uh, it's just, it's really, it's really unbelievable. And the fact that you could sit there and tell them that, you know, you, you did it, even though they told you, you know, you might not live. Mm -hmm. And you still said, Hey, I knew that we were going to overcome this and I put my mind to it and we did it. It's uh, truly inspiring. So, well, thank you, Jordan, for having me on, man. Appreciate it. And, uh, man, stay safe and, uh, let's hope for a football season. You too, Mark. Appreciate the time on to the next one. All right. That was pretty great. I hope everyone got to see the kind of man and uh, role model that Mark Herzlick is from, from that segment right there. Cause it really is. It's, it's, it's amazing. You got to see, I'm telling you, and I know I keep repeating this over and over again, but if you see the way kids are able to look at him and say, wow, if you did it, I could do that too. Kids that are in the same situation as him. I'm talking not only kids, it even, it's even with adults, right? Because, and look, I honestly can fully admit I don't know what people go through, and I don't even know how I would handle it. I, I just can't imagine having to handle that and the mindset that you would have if you're in that position. So it, I, I think it even holds true with adults. You're looking for anything at that point to wrap your mind around where you could say, okay, I, if this person did it, I could do it, I could do it too. Or something just to give you hope, like, look, other people have overcome this before. I can do this too. That's really what his story provides. And he knows that. And he doesn't shy away from that. And that's the beauty of the whole Mark Herzlick story. And, and I don't care. And I know people were sick of Mark. Some people were sick of Mark Herzlick, the player at the end. You know, they, they were ready to move on. He was a, a special teams player. And they said, okay, you know, uh, we, we need to upgrade. And, we, and that's fine. From a football, football perspective, you feel to free that you're free to feel any way you'd like. But from a human perspective, to play in the NFL and make it to that level, have a Super Bowl ring to show for it from where he was that year that he talked about at Boston College, amazing. Just amazing. And I'm going to you know, shift right here into the Jordan on the Beat section uh, and tell you, like, I, I showed up in 2013. This is a, the seg- this is the part of this uh podcast this episode where i'm going to tell you what it's like to be a beat reporter for the giants or um, a reporter for espn or somebody covering the nfl in general and i'm going to tell you i stepped into that locker room in 2013 right and the giants were still two years removed from a super bowl at that point so they had a bunch of 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 good quality guys still left in that locker room from their super bowl year in 2011 but they had started to fall apart a little bit because their line had deteriorated. They got old at certain positions, specifically that offensive line. And so they were on the decline a little bit. But still, I stepped into that locker room, and there were guys like Mark Herzlick. And he mentioned uh, Spencer Pacinger, uh Henry Hynoski, uh John Beeson was a great guy. He had gotten traded to the Giants probably like a week or two before I got there. John Beeson is a great guy. Like, he was a great locker room guy. He was a, He was a guy that just demanded instant respect. And to have guys in that locker room, you still had Justin Tuck at that point. I mean, he was one of the, he's one of the most respected guys I've ever seen in a locker room. Like you just he knew what his role was. And his role was to play well, right? Cuz that's always number 1, to be a leader, to talk and be chirping the ears of the young. He was he was the right-hand guy to JPP, I think from the start, really. I mean, he was basically JPP's mentor. And just in general, he knew it was his responsibility to talk to the media and speak on big issues. Uh, so to have him in the locker room at the time with John Beeson, Antrell Roll was a guy who was never afraid to speak his mind, very well respected in that locker room, a captain on that team. Uh you stepped into that. He had him. He had Prince Mukamara, who is a good dude. Uh, still is a good dude. I mean, he he's as as uh, positive a person as you can be around. He's this the kind of guy you love being around. A guy like Prince Mukamara. You're around him. You're just always smiling and laughing. And everybody, every locker room needs guys like that as well. So 
You know, and on the offensive side, you had Chris Snee, who was still there at the time. Uh, remember, Chris Snee, and he doesn't get talked about a ton, but he was one of the best players on those Super Bowl teams, right? There's not a ton of all pros on those Super Bowl teams, right? Eli Manning was never really even an all pro. They never had an all pro running back. Uh, the only really all pro offensive lineman was Chris Snee that had some good offensive linemen, but Chris Snee was the best of those offensive linemen. So he was very well respected. A beast, an absolute beast in the weight room is is what I heard. Um, but now he was at the end of his career at that point, eventually ended up having to retire because of injuries. I uh, just, you know, he wasn't able to, to come back. I believe it was his neck, if I remember correctly. Uh, that was sad. His retirement was was a, a sad press conference. I remember that because uh, he just didn't want to retire. He, you know, he it was too early really for him to have to retire. But the 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 physical toll was just taken on. Uh, I always wanted to call him Keith Booth because I'm a Maryland guy, and Keith Booth used to be a former Maryland basketball player. A uh, Kevin Booth, another guy, part of the Super Bowl team, basically was a starter, turned into a starter on that 2011 team, played everywhere. Uh, just another really quality human being, great guy, works for the league now, uh, and you know he's very well respected around the league, and he's still very close to the Giants organization. Victor Cruz was it was a great guy to have in the locker room. Uh, his story also amazing. I kind of missed the pinnacle of his story. When I and that's why he wasn't on the list of great stories when I got there because when I kind of got there, he ended up getting that significant injury, right early in 2014. So I really wasn't around for the positive, the, the the high point, the pinnacle of the Victor Cruz story, which by itself another just tremendous story. This undrafted free agent rookie coming out of nowhere and just tearing it apart. And remember that preseason game against the Jets, the three-touchdown game where Rex Ryan is like, who is this guy? And that's what we're going to kind of miss this year because no preseason, uh, very little practice. The undrafted free agents, the young guys, these are the guys that are getting hurt. And I think it's kind of a mistake. I think that the union, which is basically run by veterans, they're not looking out. Like one preseason game I think would have been the right amount here because you could have had it, still snuck it in late. None of the veterans would play in it, but it would give those young guys that one opportunity at least to go out on the field and prove themselves. And maybe we're missing the Victor Cruz this year because of it. So he was part of that locker room. And then, of course, Eli Manning was part of that 2013 locker room, always a quality human being, uh, always uh, you know available to talk and take everything on his shoulder. So stepping into the, that locker room, it was a pretty easy transition at the time because even though they weren't good, they were still, you know, this wasn't a team where you're like, right now this is three years in a row, this team is one of the, is the, has the worst record of any team in the NFL. So they're a bad franchise right now. The Giants at the time, even though they had a rough year in 2013, you're still talking about a team at that point that had won two of the last six Super Bowls. Two of the last six Super Bowls which is pretty darn good any way you cut it. So it wasn't a an atmosphere where everyone was like, oh, man, we got to get this straightened out. This is, you know, we got to turn this around. This is a losing franchise. Uh, this franchise, they were still confidence in the franchise that they knew how to do things correctly, that they did things the right way. That you know they had a, they had a couple bad breaks like Kenny Phillips injury, uh, Chad Jones's injury. I mean guys that were really good players. David Wilson, which was another that was a sad one uh, when he had to retire because that guy wanted to play so bad as well. Uh, you know there was some bad luck injuries. Akeem Nix's foot. I remember Akeem Nix was a stud. I mean Akeem Nix and Victor Cruz were ascending to that duo. I mean that was basically two number one receivers. Right together on the same roster, and then they drafted Odell. So imagine if those guys hadn't gotten injured. But that the Giants kind of hit a, a rough patch there uh, with injuries and bad luck. So at the time, you could still pawn it off as okay. Their struggles are based on that, and so it wasn't the the real sour atmosphere that could come these days. You know, last past few years when you're sitting there at you know. Two and twelve, or whatever, whatever they are, you know, three, 
three and thirteen going into the finale, or you know th- these really demoralizing seasons. Those are rough to be around. Those it, it's never easy when you're in a locker room where all they're doing is losing. Nobody's happy. Nobody wants to go in there and ask guys questions. Hey, what's it like to stink as a team? I mean, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, because I'm not going to go in there and say that to guys. But you know you're asking that. They know you're asking that. It wears everybody down. Because if it's loss after loss after loss, that's the atmosphere in there. But in 2013, it wasn't really like that. It really wasn't like that. And at the end of the year, they kind of put it together. Even They started, was it, 0-5, 0-6, so they beat the Vikings on a Monday night with, uh, oh, man, I'm drawing a blank on the quarterback. But uh, uh, for the Vikings, he had one start. Uh, Josh Freeman one of the rated one of the worst starts in NFL history. But they were 0-5, 0-6, I believe 0-6 at that point. And then they kind of turned it around and what they finish seven and nine, so they really won seven of their last ten games, which is pretty good. So there was still hope then going into the next the next season, the twenty fourteen season, which ironically they end up with Odell. But uh, you know, you know, the organization was on the downswing at that point. But that locker room with Mark Herzlick and Spencer Pacinger, who we talked about, you get you should watch that show if you haven't already. Uh, I believe it's on. FX All American, pretty good show. Uh, I, I I enjoy it, uh, you know. So that was that was a great, a really good locker room. One of the probably the best locker room that I've been around since I've been on this Giants beat. I think I could say that pretty, uh, pretty confidently actually, because that 2016 locker room was, you knew it was volatile, and that's kind of why it blew up on them afterwards. I believe, and everything was that was a locker room with the DRCs. And the Janaris Jenkins and the Snacks and uh, the Olivier Vernons and Odell, where when everything is going good, that's a great locker room. Those are great guys to be around. But when things go bad, there was a bunch of guys in that locker room that it wasn't good to be around. And they started internally bickering and there was some fighting internally and it just didn't go well. They put a lot of pointing fingers over those couple of years and everything fell apart real quickly. You know, guys giving half effort on the field. Janaris Jen- Jenkins at time. I mean, a DRC getting suspended and walking out. You know, these kind of things. Like, when things started going bad, they didn't handle it well. So, that 2013 season, that was different. So, we appreciate Mark Herzlick for coming on, sharing his story. Love it. Uh, big fan. from. I'm a big fan of his uh, because I, I see what he does and the impact that he has on people. So, uh we appreciate him coming on. And I promise we're going to get to football soon. We're going to do a Giants After Dark episode coming up. Next episode will probably be a Giants After Dark episode. Keep an eye out on Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I'll open the floor for questions coming or heading into training camp or the first few days of training camp because we all want to switch now. We all want to fill that football itch that we have. So we're getting there. We're close. We're so close to the finish line. We're so close to getting there. We'll be there soon enough, I promise. That's the end of this episode of Breaking Big Blue. Remember, subscribe, rate, whichever uh, podcast platform you're listening to us on. We're available pretty much on every podcast platform, ESPN app as well. And feel free to reach out to me, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, email, however you can. I'll do my best to answer your questions. I'm Jordan Ronan. You're listening to Breaking Big Blue. See you next time. (laughs) 